Matthew chapter 22, we have come as far as verse 15. It's the last week of the Lord's life before his crucifixion and resurrection. He is in the temple precincts. He had come in and overturned the tables of the money changers and uh, so forth. And now in the, the last chapter we saw, they came to him and they said, the chief priests and scribe, by what authority do you do these things? So there's a question about authority. And, uh, you know, remember Jesus said, by what authority? What's John's baptism? Tell me about that, then you'll know. And they wouldn't answer. He said, I'm not going to answer you either. But then he tells them three parables about their guilt, about the uh, solution to that, about God's judgment and final analysis, but that his program still moves forward. And we've come as far as the 15th verse here, where we see them move in after these remarkable parables to kind of bludgeon him with their theology, their questions again. It says in verse 15, Then went the Pharisees, and they took counsel, because they perceived that he told the parables against them. They took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Good luck, you're going to entangle the word of God in the word of God. That's not going to happen. And I wonder as I look at this, it says these are the Pharisees now that are gathering together, taking counsel. How can we catch him in what he's saying? And is Saul of Tarsus there among them as they're gathered? You know, it's hard for me to believe he wasn't in these precincts during these days, challenging Christ and listening to Christ, certainly with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and a a number of the priests that would come to faith. But these Pharisees now, which are more orthodox than the Sadducees, they believed in the Old Testament, they believed in the Word of God, they were certainly legalistic, but the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of Moses. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. Um, And the the scribes were mostly Pharisees, um, but they're called the lawyers because they copied the word of God. Uh, There's still scribes in Israel today. When we're over there, several times we've been in the temple, I mean, by the wailing wall there in the those precincts and they'll come with a a brand new copy of the Torah that they just finished and they're dancing and celebrating because you know they they there's a gamatria they write it if they get to the name of God they lay down their quill they wash their hands they come back and they write G D they don't they won't write his name completely then they go wash their hands again and then they write the rest of the sentence then they add up you know, like in Latin, there's Roman numerals. We, we have an English letter system, an Arabic number system. But in the Jews, the Hebrew letters were also their numbers. In, in the, the same thing with the Greeks, their letters were also their numbers. So the Jews would copy, as they still do today, and then at the end of each sentence, they would add up the total and had a match the ones that have been translated for centuries. When they were done the whole book, they would add up the sum, the worth of all of the, the numerical value of all of those words, 
And if it was one short, they would destroy it and start over again. Thank God. Because the Old Testament and New Testament we have today has been preserved. Uh, remarkable uh, that, we ha- that we have this in our hand. And God has handed it down through the, the centuries to faithful people in his church that have loved his word. Uh, the Pharisees had wanted to preserve that. The part of them that were scribes did that tedious work of copying. We still see that today. Sadducees, again, they were the hedonists. They were the ones that were more carnal. The others were more legalistic. And then the chief priests at this point in time, Annas and Caiaphas, were Sadducees as well. So they're more into money. They're more into what they can scrape together in the temple precincts. Jesus had turned over their tables. And that's why they had come and asked about his authority, now the Pharisees come and they're taking counsel together. How can we catch this guy? So they sent out unto him their disciples, notice this, with the Herodians. Now that's a strange combination. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees normally didn't get along, but Pharisees and Sadducees never got along with the Herodians because the Herodians were the political party of the day, and the Pharisees never want anything to do with them, but they're setting a trap here. And they're going to ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? And they both need to be there because if Jesus says yes, then the people in the temple precincts that have come for the Passover are going to be all upset with him because they hated the Romans, and this guy's our prophet, and, you know, how can he say yes? It is legal to pay. If he says, no, it's not legal to pay, then the Herodians are there, which are civil, tied in the civil authority. Then they're going to go and report them right away for insurrection. So they're setting a trap for them. That's what they're doing here. You know, when you see people who hate each other teaming up, then they have a greater enemy. So here they come together, this group, very interesting, and they say, Master. Now, you know they're buttering them up. Master, we know that you are true. They're laying it on thick. And teach us the way of God in truth. They don't believe a word they're saying. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. I would say this. When anybody anybody butters you up to that degree, put on your armor. Look out when somebody's laying it on that thick. They got an angle. They're working you. So they master, you know, we know you teach the truth. You know, so then that brings them to where they're going. Look, then it says, tell us, therefore, because you're a master, because you teach the truth, because you don't respect men, they set them up. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? What thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Notice, or not. It's one or the other to them, and they think they've got them trapped. Is it legal or lawful for us as religious Jews to pay tribute to Caesar, to be under this Roman tax law? Look, and there there are people in the church today that still struggle with this. We see sometimes people in the church are brothers, but 
little bit loony who get in trouble for the government. They refuse to pay taxes. You know, there are tax laws. I don't think we should pay any more than we need to. You should have a smart accountant. You should do. But we pay taxes in America. We enjoy certain liberties that they don't in other countries. We pay taxes. You render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, look, this is a question that's on the front page now because of covid because of the government saying churches can't meet. You know, there's all kinds of stuff now that we're examining in the context of some of these things. And they say, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Now, that word give, uh, didomai, means to to pay tax, to give. And Jesus is going to play on that word as we move down and they're saying, should we do this or they think they've, you know, there's only two choices, one or the other or not. But Jesus perceived, notice, isn't it interesting? He perceived their wickedness. And he said, why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? Now, look, the, the people standing around are probably going, <coughs> Because nobody's ever talked to them like that in front of them before, you know, and they're just like, yeah, you know, you know. So he's laying it on them. They know they've been getting ripped off in the temple precincts. He said, he said, why are you tempting me, you hypocrites? Now, who's on the spot now? Them or him? The tables have turned very quickly in this scene. Show me the tribute money, he says to them. And they brought unto him a penny. Denarii, your translation might say it's actually a half pence. But it's a Roman coin. It was tribute money. They had to pay taxes. And uh, they bring him that. I have, I have some of them in my office, some of the ancient coins. There's an image of Caesar on it. I was looking at it this afternoon. Is it lawful for us to pay tribute to Caesar? He says, why are you trying to trap me and tempt me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. They had it. You know, just their having it means that they were under authority of a government that used that as their coinage. So they had one in their pocket, I'm sure. Show me the tribute money. And they brought it unto him. This penny, this half shekel kind of thing. And he said unto them, Whose is this image? King James says superscription. It's inscription. He's probably holding it up for everybody to see. Whose picture is on here and whose inscription is on this? And they said to him, Of course, it's Caesar's. Then Jesus said unto them, Well, then render... Now, he uses apodidomai there. He said, they said, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar, didomai, to pay what's due? Jesus says, whose inscription and his image is on there? They say Caesar. And he says, then apodidomai, which is give back. Not just give, give back. Because he's going to say, give back to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Notice he says, and. They say, is it lawful to give or not? It's not a one or the other. It's both. 
He's going to say, then render apodidomai, give back to Caesar those things that are his, and give back to God. Both are necessary. Those things, you know, the Lord allows civil government. The Lord, you know, we watch him through the centuries, set up civil governments. Jesus told the parable before this where it says that then the king, you know, is going to send his armies. He was talking about Titus Vespasian in Rome. Again, the Old Testament colon Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, here, here he says, then what you need to do is give back to therefore Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. In other words, on the coin there's an image and an inscription. And it's Caesar's image and inscription written on that coin. That means there's ownership. So give back to Caesar the things that are rightfully his. But whose image and inscription is on you? We're image bearers. Satan loves the fact that image bearers are killing one another. And he laughs while their blood runs into the ground. We bear an image as well. And there's an inscription in us, spiritually, physically, in our DNA, remarkable, genius, beyond comprehension. There's an inscription. You know, so whose image and inscription is on this coin? Caesar's will then give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But if God's image is on you and his inscription is upon you, then give back to God since Adam fell, give back to God the things that are God's. Look, what are his that we're to give back to him? Certainly, time. You know, teach us to number our days, Moses said in the Psalms. You know, time is his. It says our next breath is in his hand. Sadly, we see people in our church sometimes that are young, pass away. Children sometimes cancer. Somebody in a car wreck. Somebody lives to be, I just saw this person the other day, uh, 107 years old, recovered from COVID. Now that's a person that's still supposed to be here. You know, Mark Abrams sent me this uh, video of the oldest living World War II veteran right now. He's an African-American man. He's 109 years old. He smokes four cigars a day. Now, he said, I don't inhale. That's bad for you. I just like the way they taste. He eats a big bowl of ice cream every night before he goes to bed. He just retested last year and got his license renewed when he was 108. So he's got his, he drives this old, funky-looking pickup truck. It's remarkable. And uh, he lives in a house that he built years ago. Um, that's time. That's a guy that's supposed to be alive. So if we're rendering back to God the things that are God's, he's given us time. What are we doing with it? That's really a, a challenge for me personally. You know, my being a good steward over his time. There's an inscription on it. It's his, you know. He, he's given us life. 
that's relative to that time. You know, what do we do with it? How much of it do we do we garner to ourselves? How many selfish things do we do to try to satisfy ourselves, you know? I'm speaking from experience. Yes, my wife. Um, you know, he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. Do we give back in those contexts? Do we let the word of God roll over us? Do we let the spirit prompt us and move us? Think of the things he's given to us. He's given us tonight. Here we are. He's given us tonight. So wonderful to worship with you guys. Just stand there, sensing the Holy Spirit as we were worshiping. It was wonderful, you know. He's given us tonight. Or, or we're going to be a steward over that till we lay our heads on the pillows, you know. So he says, give, then render, apodotomai, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Can't take them to have it anyway. But give back to God. Render back to him the things that are his. They're not yours. Paul says our life is not our own. It belongs to him. So give back then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and they left him. They went away scratching their heads. So he just kind of laid out the Pharisees. So now the Sadducees are going to come and take their shot at him. Thinking those stupid Pharisees, they didn't know how to do this, you know. So the same day, temple precincts come to him, the Sadducees, notice, which say that there is no resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're in a bad mood because right before this, a few days before this, Jesus had called Lazarus out of the tomb. That's bad theology for them. All of Jerusalem's a buzz because he was dead long enough that he stunketh. There was no doubt whether he was dead or not. And uh, Jesus has called him out of the tomb. And, and we're told that the priests are upset because all the people are in an uproar. They all know about it, you know. So now they're going to try to make the resurrection look ridiculous. It says they actually want to destroy Lazarus or come back to life again. I mean, that's a tough crowd. So, you know, it says here they don't, they don't believe in the resurrection. Paul, remember, in Acts chapter 23, when he's brought before the council, says he realizes half the group are Pharisees, half of them are Sadducees. So instead of answering to them, he divides them. He said, am I real? I'm a Pharisee. Am I really getting called on the carpet because I believe in the resurrection? Because I believe, and, and all the other Pharisees are saying, yeah, what's wrong with that? And it starts a big debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he gets off the hook there in that situation. Here, he says, you know, they, they don't believe there's a resurrection. This, Matthew's telling us as he writes this. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in heaven. That's why they were sad, you see. It's an easy way for you to remember what they believed. They came saying, Master. Joking again. He's not their master. Moses said... If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10. They're getting ready to enter the land. Uh, Deuteronomy, by the way, is the book most quoted by Jesus. It was his favorite book in quoting and teaching. Um, 
It says in there, because, because endemic to the people, to the genealogy, to the inheritance, you have to prove your inheritance, and the inheritance would always fall to the oldest male child who got a double portion, and that land was never owned by Israel. They paid a lease on it. They paid the tithe. That was the whole point of you know, leasing the land and taking care of it. It was, give, it was a gift given to them by the Lord. So in Deuteronomy, it says, look, if you get married and, uh, and the husband dies before there's a child, the, there's a responsibility. This is Old Testament. Everybody calm down. The responsibility for that man's brother to be intimate with his wife, to take her, and then the firstborn boy out of that relationship would be considered his father's son, and the inheritance then would be passed to him. You remember there's a group of women that came and said, what are we, we don't have any boys. You mean we're not going to get anything? And Moses had to deal with that situation. So it says then that if the brother then, it was called a Leverite marriage, if the brother refused, to take his brother's wife and marry her, then he had to come and stand before the elders in the gate, and she would come and accuse him. Say, this is my, my husband's brother. My husband is deceased, and he refuses to raise up seed to my brother. And then it says, then what she would do is she would take one of the sandals off of his feet and spit in his face. And, and then he would be called the man with no sand, with one sandal and spit in his face. And, uh, you know, that we, you read it. Deuteronomy um, chapter 25, verses 5 to 10. It's really remarkable to read through it. So they're going back to Moses. They believed in the first five books of Sadducees. And they're saying, okay, you know, resurrection. You, you think they're, they want to make it look ridiculous. So they say, now, there were with us seven brothers. And the first, when he had married a wife, he died, he deceased, having no issue, no children. And he left his wife then unto his brother. Likewise, then, the second also had her, and the third all the way down to the seventh brother. So the first brother married her, no kids. Second brother married her, he died, no kids. Third brother married her, he died, no kids. Fourth brother Fifth brother, sixth brother, seven brother, they all they all married her and they all died not having kids, and it says last of all she died. So there is justice. You know, the Food and Drug Administration should have been involved long before. I mean, like, oh I'm the fourth or fifth brother, I'm not married. Spit in my face, take my shoe, do whatever you want to do. You know, I ain't marrying you, this is bad bad news here. Uh, But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make this look ridiculous. We're laughing because they're, they're, they're trying to make it, you know. So, so what's the deal here? So they all had her. Uh, therefore, look in verse 28. In the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? You take her. Now you take her. Now you take her. In the resurrection, whose wife shall she be uh, of the seven for they all had her. They were the, she was the wife of all of them. So in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? You know, what's that going to be in heaven? My, my, you know, your wife will say to you, "Are we still going to be married in heaven?" You know, 
are we are we going to know each other in heaven? I would, you know, my wife, I would say, well, honey, we're not going to be dumber in heaven than we are here. Of course, we're going to know each other, but you know, relationships are going to be different there. I'm, I'm certain of that. Um, they want to make it look foolish. Now, look, resurrection, life beyond earth, and and people are doing that today. They'll make fun of you if you believe in the resurrection. You really, in this culture with all of our means of media and communication and science and technology, you believe in the resurrection. I'm telling you this, that resurrection is sweeter now than it has ever been. You can keep, you know, COVID-19 right here on this ball of dirt. You know, you can keep politics right here on this ball of dirt. You can keep control of the population right here on this ball of dirt. Blow the trumpet. Get me out of here. And I'm all good for what's on the other side of this. Resurrection just seems sweeter than anything right now, doesn't it? But, you know, people make fun of you. And then, you know, my advice is if 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 you're trying to lead somebody to Christ, don't tell them about the rapture. It shuts the door a little bit. First, tell them about the love of Jesus. Get them to Jesus first. Because people will do that. You know, all kinds of crazy stuff about the rapture. Are you kidding me? You're going to be changed. You know, what if you're a pregnant woman in your third trimester? You know, what happens? Uh, what happens if you're an unbelieving woman in the third trimester? Does the baby take off? Uh, you know, what happens if you... People have asked me these things. What happens... You know, if uh, if a Christian died in a car wreck and donated his organs and you got a liver transplant and you have a Christian liver and the Lord blows the trumpet, does your liver blow out? This is this is what happens when you take human ingenuity and think that our intellect can match the truths of scripture when it says his ways are above our ways they're beyond finding out if if we could intellectualize everything god tells us we wouldn't need faith well there would be no purpose in faith He's he's asking us to believe some things sometimes he's going to ask us to get out of the boat and walk on the water Gravity will not let me do that. If I step under the water, I'm going to drown. Ask Peter about it. He was at least courageous enough to take the first step and get out there. But all of these ridiculous things. Now, I was thinking today as I was looking at this of something I heard Gail Irwin read years ago. So I was able actually to go online and find it. Um, You might appreciate this if you don't laugh. Anyway, so I don't feel stupid reading it. Ready? Okay. What is reincarnation? A cowboy asked his friend. His friend his friend replied, Well, son, it happens when your life has reached its end. You see, they comb your hair, they wash your neck, they clean your fingernails, and they and then they put you down in a box far away from life's travails. Now, the box in you goes in a hole that's been dug into the ground, and reincarnation starts when you're planted neath that mound. You see, the box melts down just like you who's inside, and when you're just beginning to do that, it's your transformation ride. Well, in a while, it rains, and it falls upon, it will fall upon the ground till one day on your lonely grave a flower 
will be found. And say a horse shall wander by and graze upon the flower that once was you but now becomes your vegetative bower. That little flower that the horse done ate with all his other feed becomes bone and fat and muscle essential for the steed. But somehow he's consumed that that he can't use, and that passes through. And finally it lays there on the ground, this thing that once was you. (laughs) And then say I should wander by and gaze upon the ground and wonder and ponder on this object that I have found. Well, it sure makes me think of reincarnation, of life and death and such. And I'm going to right away concluding you ain't changed all that much. (laughs) People ask crazy things about the life beyond, you know. And here are the religious experts of the day. Look, they're around. Sadducees are around today. Pharisees that are tied in with the government, they're around today. And they want to make fun of the things that we believe. They want to make resurrection look ridiculous. They Rapture, are you kidding me? Jesus says to them, look, here's the deal. You are in error. You do err, not knowing the scripture, first of all, nor the power of God. First thing he says this, for the resurrection. So he first talks, he's going to talk about two things, knowing the scripture and the power of God. The first thing he talks about here is the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry. Now that can be a promise or a heartache. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels of God in heaven. Not like the fallen angels from Genesis chapter 6 that we meet in Revelation. These are the angels of God in heaven. And amongst the angels, there's no need for procreation. One of the things it says in Malachi is what God wants out of a marriage is godly seed. What he loves is when the next generation is passed the baton by a godly mom and a godly dad or a godly single mom, however it might work. Jesus had a single mom. And that God rejoices that he can get out of one generation another generation. So it says, it says here that in heaven we're like the angels of God, the unfallen angels, and we don't marry nor are we given in marriage. Um, The angels never needed to procreate because their sin all took place at one time. There's no, you know, angels don't have little angels. Angels don't date and they don't get married and they don't have little angels. The angels were all there when Lucifer rebelled and they all made the single decision then whether to follow God or to take part in the rebellion And all the angels that rebelled are cast away. They're following Lucifer. They're active in the world we're in today. 
but there's no savior for angels because they were all there to make the decision. You and I were not there. Adam made a decision that's affected and infected all of us. And Paul says in Romans, because sin comes to the whole race through one man, that redemption, forgiveness, life also come to the whole race through one man because God is just. But what happens with the the angels that were there then are still alive. Human beings, there has to be another generation. There has to be procreation. There has to be passing the baton. Uh, you know, isn't it interesting in the, in the book of Deuteronomy where we're talking, the, the Lord says there, you know, if a man dies, if he marries and he, and he dies and he hasn't had children, this is what needs to happen. You know, you know, he's the Lord. He could just keep the guy alive. But he's saying in this world, there's tribulation. There are problems. There are difficulties. And if a man from one of the tribes dies then my word says that his brother should continue the lineage, the genealogy, the inheritance, because it's a gift of God and it's given. You know, so he says to them first, he said, he said, you don't understand the scripture or the power of God. Power of God works this way. In the resurrection, we neither marry or are given in marriage, but we are like the angels of God, in heaven. And then when he goes to not knowing the scripture, he moves into the next portion and he and he says, but as touching the resurrection, the second time now, of the dead, have ye not read? Now Matthew loves to put that in there. Have you not read that that which was spoken unto you by God? Now, isn't it interesting he said it was spoken Unto you, by God, Mark, when he records this, says it was spoken unto you through Moses at the burning bush. Pentateuch, the first five books, that's what the Sadducees bragged about. Have you never read what was spoken unto you by God, saying, at the burning bush, he said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He said when the burning bush talked to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham. Not I was the God of Abraham. I used to be the God of Abraham. Hey, when Abraham was kicking around, I was his God. You know, he is, I am, I am that I am. The tetragrammaton is there, but he says, he, he said, I am. Presently, relationship hasn't ended. I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. They've been gone. But our relationship continues in another world, in resurrection. You know, it's, and it's going to be manifest. He says, have you not read that which was spoken by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, he is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. Look, and, and the dead have their gods. You know, Jesus, a young man said, I'm going to follow you on here. He said, but let me first go bury my father. He said, look, let the dead bury their dead, but come and follow me. There are the dead 
and the dead have their gods. We're not alive until we're born again. And the dead have their gods out there. Pleasure, power, money, which is related to both, intoxication, depending on what it might be, Ferraris, Rolexes, who knows? You know, the dead have their gods. But it says he's the living God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob today as we sit here. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished. It means they were shaken out of their place at his doctrine, at his teaching, the fact that he's quoting the Torah to the Sadducees and just blowing them out of the water. It says, but when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they're going to come for round two. When the Pharisees heard he had put the Sadducees to silence, literally it's in the, in the Greek, when he, they heard he muzzled them, then they were gathered together. Our turn again. And then one of them, which was a lawyer. Now, this is not the kind of lawyer we have today. I mean, there's some lawyers that come here to church. You know, there's, they're my friends. And uh, uh, there, there's too many of them, but I'm thankful for the Christian ones. But, you know, uh, this was a scribe. This was someone who, who copied the law. Again, normally Pharisees. But this was a scribe. They were called a lawyer because they they were in charge of copying the scripture. So he says there is this lawyer then. Um, and he asked him a question. It says here tempting, it's testing him. And he's saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, which is, the idea is, of which sort? That's what the Greek really communicates here. Master, of which sort is the greatest commandment? Because the Jews taught out of the Decalogue, out of the first five books, and born out of the Ten Commandments, that there were 613 different laws. Uh, There were 365 of them, that were negative. You you can't prohibitive. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And there was 248 of them were positive. Thou shalt do this. Thou shalt do that. And and you know they came up with this huge, you know, number of prohibitive and positive laws that had to be kept. And they were always going back and forth arguing about it. And it was a religious argument in this day. So this young lawyer comes. And says, Lord, of what sort is the greatest commandment? Which category? Of what sort? Now, interesting, Mark tells us this. He says, um, and one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered the Sadducees well, and asked him, which is the first commandment of all? The So it says this young scribe, there's a certain amount of genuineness where he perceived that Jesus had answered well. And uh, then he he said to Jesus, when when he hears the answer, Jesus is going to live. He says, Lord, uh, to love him with all your heart, soul, uh, mind and strength 
and and to love your neighbors yourself is more than all the law of burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So understand the Pharisees and Sadducees have been hostile. There seems to at least be a measure of genuineness. And look, any of you have friends that are unbelievers, you know, just plant the seeds. Because if any of them come to the Jesus we know and love with just a measure of genuineness, how am I supposed to know this? How am I supposed to know? What's the most important thing for me to do? I know my friends are talking about, oh, are you really there? Are you listening to me? Or am I a crazy person sitting here alone in my bedroom talking to you? Are you really there? You know, look, he, he says, any man who comes to be, I'll in no wise cast out. I think we should make hoodies that say, in no wise. That everybody's going to ask. In no wise, why is that? Well, Jesus said, then you get to give a testimony, you know. So let's get our in no wise hoodies and uh, wear them out in public. That Jesus said, oh, no wise, cast out. Any man who comes, broken, battered, compromised, backslidden, whatever it might be, in no wise. And this lawyer comes with a certain measure of genuineness. And he says, Master, which is, of which sort is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Matthew, Mark says, with all thy strength. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the first thing he does is he takes them to the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, singular, Jehovah, the Lord thy God, Elohim, thy gods, plural, is one, Echad, Lord. If, you know, there's two different words in the Hebrew that mean one, Echad and Yachid. If, if you say, well, yeah, well, I am, uh, you know, me and my wife, were one, we're one about this. That's Yachid, you know. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different. This one is Hero Israel. Jehovah, your gods, your Elohim, are one Echad. They're, they're of the same essence. They're, 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 they're one. It's a, it's, not, it's a compound unity. It's, it's a very interesting. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, is one Jehovah. Though he's Elohim, God's, he's one Jehovah. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every Jew still says it every day. Every religious Jew is still saying this today. And Jesus takes this scribe, this lawyer, to the thing that he should have known best. And he says, Here, this is the greatest sort of commandment. This is, you know... Because if, if you go to the Lord and you love him, first of all, with all your heart, that's always the one named first in each place. Because the heart drives the human being. 
Guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Not from your intellect, not from your emotions, from your heart, from the deep place of longing within you that's only satisfied by the living God. It's a God-shaped void. You know, it's your heart. And your heart longs after things. If it isn't on the right target, which is God, it longs after, you know, affirmation. It longs after pleasure. It longs after power. It longs after all these other things. And if you just let that go on, your heart will make a convert of your mind. Because your mind, you'll be saying, oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, and finally you say, what the heck? Why shouldn't I do this? You know, this is wrong. This never works out. I'm just going to throw away the towel and I'm going to do this. So he, first thing he says, if God has your heart, he's got you. This is the greatest sort of commitment. Love the Lord with all your heart, number one. With all your soul, with, with your intellect and your emotions. With all your mind, he says here, with all your strength. If the Lord has your heart, he's going to have your soul. And he's going to have your mind. He's going to have your strength. You see it here with people. People come in here that are engaged. They fall in love. You see them walk in. They have the same shirts and the same shorts on. You They sit down, but they're not here with the rest of us. They have lost their minds. Because their heart has the steering wheel. You know, God wants our heart. What does he want? What kind of God is he? What's the greatest sort of commandment there is? You shall not do this. You shall not do that. You shall not. They, they had 365 of those. Thou shalt not. What's the greatest sort of commandment? And Jesus says, what does he want? Who is he? This is what he says to his people. Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because in these two things, the vertical to love the Lord, the horizontal to love your neighbor, isn't it interesting on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. It's all fulfilled there, you know. The problem with it is, as we go through, is you can't command somebody to love you. You can't say to your wife, love me, baby. You know, I'm just telling you one time. This is your job in life. Love me, you know. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, of course, she says, do you love me? You say, hey, 43 years ago at the older, I told you love. What do you need this? Repeat it every day. What's the problem? You think I'm a liar? You don't believe me? I told you I love you. That's why we're here, you know. But you, you can't command somebody to love you because we're responders. We respond. If I get in an argument with my wife, and I never have, but just in case any of you do that, you know, and we, I'm a responder. She's a responder. If she says to me, nyeh, 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 I say to her, nyeh, 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 I respond. Right? We're not initiators. We're responders. So God, understanding that, says we love him because he first loved us. 
Herein is the love of God manifest, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his own son to be the propitiation for our sins. The very center of the heart of God is that he punished his own son in our place. People say, God, if you love me, you know, you'll give me this husband. And three years later, Lord, you love me and you gave me that husband? You know, Lord, if you love me, you'll give me this house so I can be $300,000 in debt. Lord, if you love me, you'll give me this car. Lord, if you love me, you'll heal my cancer. Lord, if you love me, you'll heal my son, you'll heal my daughter. God's love can be manifested in those things. But God says this of himself. Herein is the love of God manifest. Not that you love him, but that he first loved you and he sent his son to be the place where all of his wrath could be satisfied on your behalf. And what does it take for a father to hear his son in Gethsemane crying, it says, for fear in Hebrews? cried out, sweat, sends an angel to strengthen him so he can sweat great drops of blood in his pleading. Let this cup pass three times. The cup of Jeremiah 25 and of Psalm 79, the cup of wrath poured out without its mixture. Revelation 14, the cup of God's wrath that's poured out and it says the smoke of the torment of that cup ascendeth forever and forever. Somehow in those three hours of darkness, Christ died eternally. And when he died, your sins were on him my sins were on him. The sins of every child pervert, murderer, rapist, the sins of mankind were on him. He was the sin bearer. And it says God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God says, you want to know if I love you? Look at the cross. That's my own Dear Holy Son. And I had to listen to him cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For you and for me. Greatest commandment love me, God says. But because man couldn't fulfill the law, he sends his son to fulfill the law and then to die as a sinless sacrifice. And because he didn't need to die, his death paid for something that we could never pay for, for our sins. And God Almighty says, if you want to know if I love you, look at my son that I gave for you. Of what sort is the greatest commandment? God said that you love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And I want you to love your neighbors yourself. If you're a recipient of God's grace, it's hard to be judgmental towards other people because they're jerks just like you. You know, grace received becomes grace bestowed. If you realize the amount of grace God had to exercise to get you into heaven, you can't begrudge anything to anybody else. Your life needs to be, if I'm getting in, anybody gets in. Give me my no, in no wise t-shirt. Let me get rolling here, you know. So he says, this is, this is the greatest. This, this one where he asked for this. And then 
The other one is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, great stuff here. Leviticus 19:18. Sadly, today in the church, there's so much of this kind of Tony Robbins Christianity. Your potential. You got to love yourself. You got to do this. You know, Paul tells us one of the problems of the last days is men are going to love themselves more than they love God. People say, "Well, I don't love myself." You know, I I hate myself because I'm ugly. Well, if you really hated yourself, you'd be glad you were ugly. Your problem is that you love yourself and you're sad because you're ugly. You know, if you really hated yourself, you'd be glad you're ugly. You know, I hate I, I myself really. Let's take a picture of the sanctuary tonight. It'll be on the hall next week. And when you get in, what's the first thing you're going to look for in that picture? I look dumb. Destroy it. Get you know, the heck with, you know, a thousand other people. I don't look good. So let's get rid of the picture. You know, but we love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. We understand what it means to be selfish. Be otherish. Be brotherish, sisterish. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. And you're and in that you're reflecting the Father who loves you and wants you to love Him. And He said, on these two commandments then hang all the law and the prophets. And then we're told that this young lawyer said, Lord, you've answered. That's true. And all of this. And Jesus turned to him and said, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom. We're going to see this young lawyer in heaven. We just might. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, then Jesus asked them. Now it's his turn. He comes with his question. They're in the temple in front of all the people. And he says to them, now you tell me what you think. They said to him, what do you think? Shall we? Is it you know, lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Now he says to them, now what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Now Christ is the Messiah. We read Christ, the Jews, you know, the Mashiach, the the anointed one, the Messiah. Whose son is he? He asked them. And they say unto him, well, he's the son of David. And they're expecting a human even today when the Antichrist comes, he'll be received. And he said unto them, well, then how then does David in the spirit. Now, your translation might have a small s there. It's not in his heart or in his own spirit, because Mark tells us he answers about the Holy Spirit. So that should be a capital S. Um, he, He says, how then does David in the Holy Spirit call him Lord, saying, And this is Psalm 110. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. The Lord said unto my Lord. Now, King James, I'm not sure your translation. You'll see that it's the Lord, capital O, capital R, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Jehovah. Said unto my Lord, capital L, small O-R-D. That's Adonai. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? The Jew would never conceive of this. How can he be his son, his offspring, when he's his Lord? You know, uh, it's interesting in the book of Revelation, he's called the root and the offspring of David. He's the origin of David, and he's of David's, David's lineage at the same time. You know, and Jesus says there, really? Uh, he's the son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one? Then If he's the son of David, how does David say in the psalm, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at thy house. How does he call him his Lord if he's his son? 
And, you know, I'm sure they're amazed as they're sitting there, they're, they're listening to this. Interesting, I love Proverbs 30, and I'll read this to you beginning at verse 4. It says, Who hath ascended up into heaven? Now, you, you should know the answer to this. Or descended? Who hath garnered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all of the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Proverbs 30, verse 4. You know, this is one of the things that would haunt the Jews. And Jesus says to them here, you answer this question. You've been putting me on the spot. What think you of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Easy for them to say. Well, he's the son of David. Really, he says to them. Well, then how does David, in the Holy Spirit, call him Lord, saying, Jehovah said unto my Lord Adonai, Sit thou on my right hand, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither dared any man from that day forth to ask him any more questions. He has so obliterated the religious leaders and their theories and their theology in the temple precincts and really humiliated them to certain degrees that they says nobody then asked them anymore. We get to the next chapter. If the Lord tires, you want to read ahead chapter 23 because he just fries the Pharisees and Sadducees. He just puts them on the barbecue and grills them. You know, it's the most heated speech of Jesus in any of the Gospels. This next chapter, chapter 23, it is scathing. And he just fillets them in front of these multitudes that are there. And uh, really interesting, worthwhile reading. And then he'll go from there, chapter 24, um, to the last day. So it'll be fun to, it'll be fun to study prophecy for a change. <laughs> you know, uh, but we're in, we're in an interesting place. So I would encourage you, read ahead. Look, uh, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? Guys, let's give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Don't give him more than he should get, but give him what he should. More importantly, give back to God the things that are his. What has he given to you? What do you enjoy? What is, you know, the substance of your life and your time and your gifts and your love for the word and the Holy Spirit? Give that back to him. You know, he said of the loaves and the fishes, give them to me. They said, what are these among so many? He said, give them to me. Put them in my hands. And it says he fed a multitude then. Give back to God the things that are his. We're, we, we, we assume ownership. We, we, we want to govern our own lives. We say that he's our Lord, but we have a little throne in our own life that we like to sit on. No, let's relinquish that. Let's really give that over. I mean, this is the time for it, isn't it? You look at the news, you look what's going on around us. 
Who wants to do anything in the energy of the flesh these days? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord to lead us. We need to take this old battered life patched up with the blood of Christ and washed and cleansed and put it, give it back. He gave us life. We need to give it back in his hands. We have the resurrection in front of us. It's coming. Religious people can make fun of it. It's ahead of us. There's no escaping that. What God wants for now, the time being, he wants your heart, your soul, your mind. He wants you. He don't want your money. You know, you listen to some of these guys on TV, you would think, God's filed chapter 11. You know, he's been a bad steward over his finances. And unless you give, the kingdom's going under. And when you get to heaven, the angels are going to say, you're the one. You know, I mean, if you'd have been a little more generous, we could have kept the program going. You know, you would think that, right? Listening to it, you don't want any of that. I need a human heart and a human mind. I need your love. Because that will drive all your other emotions and your intellect. Give me your love. I need you to love me. You're my blood-bought sons and daughters. But we can only love him because he first loved us. If you're having a problem loving God, then you need to do what I do. Each day you need to sit at the foot of the cross. Alistair Begg told me he preaches the gospel to himself every day. You need to sit at the foot of the cross. In the ages to come, we're still going to be learning about his grace and his mercy. So we're never going to get the full measure of it now. Sometimes I sit alone and I think, you know, in the Old Testament... In the temple, they had the, evening, the the morning and the evening sacrifice. And I just think, what a great way to start every day with the blood of the Lamb. And what a necessary way to end every day with the blood of the Lamb. We love him because he first loved us. Just take the next four or five days every day and just sit at the foot of the cross and look up at your Savior. And it will start to overwhelm you. And as you get overwhelmed, you will be contagious. You, Who cares about COVID? If we have the church sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ, we'll infect our entire culture with the love of God. And that's what needs to happen. The love of Christ needs to be shed abroad from our hearts. Amen? And we ain't going to do that in our own strength. We ain't going to do it in our own wisdom. Let's... Listen to our Father say, the greatest thing is, is that I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor, you know. Because I'm the Lord. I'm seated at the right hand of all power and all authority. Coming again. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord. Read ahead. A really nasty chapter next week. Father, I know you've overheard, and Lord, we, we go through these things, Lord, and, and, you know, we're familiar with them. I'm familiar with them, Lord, but they speak afresh, Lord. They speak again. They speak things to me they've never spoken to me before, Lord. They're familiar, and they're brand new at the same time, Lord. Only your word can do that. Lord, let... Anything that we partake of from your word, just give us greater hunger for more of the same. Greater thirst, as deeply as we've drunk from your word, Lord, let us have a greater thirst to drink more deeply, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and never 
Let us spend our day wondering how much of your spirit we have. Let us spend our days wondering how much of us your spirit has. And let us render unto you, Lord, the things that are yours. Let me do that, Lord. Let me do it, Lord. Lord, not to preach to the choir, Lord, not to force that on any other believer, Lord, for me. Lord Jesus, my Savior, in these days, Lord, let me render to you the things that are yours, Lord. Please hear each of us ask that, Lord. And we lift our voices and our hearts now, Lord Jesus. You said there were those who drew near with their lips, but their hearts were far away. We don't want to do that, Lord. Right now, Jesus, in light of your word, in light of a, a sweet And good evening in your presence. We want to lift our voices and our hearts to you at the same time. Lord, in in your name we pray. Amen.